Well, good morning. We've got two minutes left in our morning, so I can officially still say good morning to you. I know for some of you, it still feels like a really, really early morning, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I want to set up the morning with this statement, and I want you to be careful, and I don't want you to tune me out just because of this first statement, because I want to go somewhere with it. But um, I have observed and have seen churches and Christians, and even myself at times, have this tendency to literally scare the hell out of people. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Um, when I was in high school, my friends and I went to a church camp, and at that camp, you know, we heard about Jesus, and we began to understand some of the things about Jesus. Most importantly, that um, it would impact our eternity, where we would spend eternity after we died. And I remember one of my friends um, really latching on, and he was like, man, this is, this is the truth, and we've got to go back, and we've got to tell all our friends about the truth that is in Jesus Christ. And so we got home, and he was determined to um, have that conversation with one of our good friends. His name was Corbin, and uh, the guy that I went to camp with, his name was Pete. And I remember Pete walking up to Corbin the day after we got back from camp, and he had a cigarette lighter in his hand. And he turned that cigarette lighter on, he walked up to him, and he stuck it up to his ear and caught his hair on fire. And immediately in that moment, Corbin was frustrated. He's like, man, what's wrong with you? And he might have said something a little more intense than that that I can't repeat here this morning. But he was frustrated, and Pete goes, you think that's hot? Hell's a lot hotter. Let me tell you about Jesus. And we have a tendency to do that as Jesus followers. I mean, you've seen the angry Christians on the corner at large sporting events screaming and yelling, turn or burn, give your life to Jesus, or get saved or get microwaved. Would you like to trust Jesus today? Like it's, and, and it kind of, see, she's even upset about it. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of crazy. Churches will put together these events at Halloween called Hell Houses, and they will try to um, display what our best guess of what hell would be like. And at the end, they say, if you don't want to go there, then pray this prayer. And I, listen, this morning, I believe that heaven and hell are both real places. I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like. I'm pretty confident it's not going to be you and me jumping from cloud to cloud, wearing our togas and our halos over our head, chasing the angels. I also don't think it's going to be 24-7 for eternity choir practice, because that just sounds like hell. Okay, so I don't think that's what it's going to be. But I do think that it's real. I'm confident that it's real, just as much as I believe that hell is real. Both are talked about in Scripture. Jesus even referenced both. But what I want us to think about and what I want us to consider is that everything that there is to do with a relationship with Jesus. John 14, 6 says that Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he is the life, and no one has access to the Father except through him. And I don't want us to miss this morning what that means. That doesn't just mean that one day we're going to be escorted to a safe place when we breathe in the last breath of oxygen on this planet. I believe that it's also important for us here and now. We just sang a song about Jesus changing everything, not someday in the future, but right now. Because we need Jesus right now. But my fear is that sometimes in church and in Christian circles, we can get so focused on our eternal destination that we forget to see him at work right now in our lives. You see, it works like an immunization. I don't know if you know how that works, but I know that when you get a shot, some of you got a flu shot this year, some of you didn't, some of you got one and you're really ticked off because you still got the flu even though you got a shot. And uh, that's, that's, we'll talk about that another, another weekend. Um, but how that works is a doctor or a nurse will give you an injection. And in that injection is a dead portion of the virus they're trying to protect you from. And so you get that shot, and what happens is your body begins to develop antibodies to protect you from the full onslaught, the full experience that that virus could bring in your life. And so what happens, you don't ever get to experience that. 
My fear is, is that sometimes when it comes to Jesus, we know just enough about Jesus that we've created these antibodies to fully experience Jesus in our lives. And we fail to recognize that he's not just interested in us joining him in this place one day, but he's interested in our lives today. He's interested in our lives tomorrow. It's what this series has been about. We've been looking at encounters with Jesus as we ramp up to Easter, which by the way, I wanna just pause for a minute with a shameless plug for Easter weekend. If you do not already have plans for Easter, you are wrong, okay? Go ahead and make those plans. Go ahead and put it in your phone. Save the date. We have five experiences, but Good Friday is gonna be unique to the rest of the weekend. Good Friday service, we've never done this before. Uh, Mark and Laura and I and the team, we are working diligently to prepare what we believe is gonna be an amazing weekend. Make plans to be here on Good Friday and then come back Saturday or Sunday for one of the Easter services. It's gonna be an incredible weekend and you do not wanna miss that. But as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at encounters that people have had with Jesus. Encounters that have strengthened their faith, that maybe have given them an opportunity to actually step into a relationship with Jesus. And today, I want us to take a look at a story in John chapter 5. John is my favorite gospel of the four. Um, You might have a different one, and that is 100% okay. They're all great. But I like John, and I like pointing people to John to start to begin to understand who Jesus is and what difference that makes in our lives. And so let's look at this, starting in verse 1. Let's look at this story and try to draw some um, understanding and help it real, help realize some expectations that it puts in place in a relationship with Jesus that matters right now. In verse one, it says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now we have to pause after one verse, and you're like, man, it's gonna be a long afternoon. He's pausing after the first verse. But I want us to understand the context because it sets us up for what's really happening in this passage. What's going on is Jesus, along with hundreds if not thousands of people, are making a journey to Jerusalem for a festival that was held seven times every year on the Hebrew calendar. And the reason they would celebrate, the reason they would have this festival is they were gathering together to celebrate the goodness of God, to celebrate all that he had done for them in their lives. They weren't celebrating this, this, this um, day on the calendar where they would one day be with him. That was part of the celebration, but it was also what God was doing in their relationship with God in that season. And so they get together and they would eat lots of food because it can't be a celebration if there's not a lot of food. There was singing, there was dancing, there was shouting. It was a celebration, celebrating the goodness the protection, the provision, the love of God in their lives that they were currently experiencing. And so Jesus is on his way to this occasion, on his way to celebrate God's goodness. Now what's interesting about that is that's kind of what this is. It's a celebration of God's goodness in this room this morning. But some of us are struggling to get there. You see, in my relationship with Jesus, certainly I want to spend eternity with heaven, in heaven with him one day, but I also don't want to continue to live my life here on this earth in a way where I am controlled by a certain substance, a certain habit, a tendency in my life. I don't want my life to be defined as an addict. I don't want to have something control me and just continue to go through life saying, man, I can't wait to get to heaven one day, but right now this really stinks because this is controlling my life. Maybe for you, you don't want to um, step into this place and try to celebrate God's goodness and think about, okay, yeah, one day I'm gonna get to heaven and that's great, but right now I'm just really wrestling with some bitterness. And let's be real, when we know people that are bitter or when we've experienced bitterness in our own lives, it's a difficult thing to be around. It's unhealthy. 
Or maybe for you, it's, I, I, I can get on board with the, I wanna go to heaven one day, but I'm just not sure what difference that makes because as I reflect back on my life, there's a past. Maybe you're driving down the road and everything is good and all of a sudden that song comes on from 15, 20, 30 years ago and immediately takes you back to a season, to a time in your life that you're not proud of where there were some destructive decisions that you made. There were things that happened. There were circumstances that you're not proud of. And so you begin to get overwhelmed with what you were and you lose sight of what your future holds. Maybe you're stuck in a meaningless job. To you, you look at your job and you think, man, there's no purpose in this job. I don't know why I'm doing this. Is this as good as it's gonna get? And you start to lose hope. And when you hear the idea of heaven one day, you're like, that sounds great, but that doesn't make a difference for me right now. I am stuck in this place. And so then you, you show up here and you show up in this room and people are celebrating. And you're like, man, I, I just can't get there. How cruel would it be for me to stand on the stage this morning and to say, hey, listen, I know that you're, controlled. I know that you're addicted. I know that you're struggling with forgiveness issues. I know that you're overwhelmed with your past. I know that you feel stuck in a meaningless job or purpose in your life. Just pray this prayer and one day you will get to spend eternity with God in heaven one day. Now that is an incredible thing and don't let me downplay that this morning. But if I've said that to you and say, hey, look forward to that day. The life you have right now, you're just going to have to just live with it. But one day, then you would respond and say, well, what's the point in living today? And I can tell you there's a lot to live for today. There's a lot to focus on today. That's what the weekends are about here. That's what this is. It's a celebration of God's people. It's a, it's a group of people coming together because we don't have it all figured out yet, but we've seen God doing breakthrough in our life. We're celebrating his goodness We're celebrating all that he's done. We're celebrating the fact that people have been freed from addiction. We're celebrating the fact that our kids and our students spend time on the weekends hearing about Jesus and the difference that that can make in their life so that maybe it'll help them make better choices in their life. It'll protect them from some of the things that you and I pursued when we were their age. It sets them up for a better version of themselves. We can celebrate that. We can celebrate the fact that marriages have been restored. But when we trust Jesus and we only recognize that it's securing our future one day, the enemy can sneak in and he can begin to control our our thoughts and our minds. And we struggle to live in any kind of joy, any sort of celebration. Look what it says in verse two. It says, now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, let's just, just, just imagine this scene for a moment. These people, and we know that it's a great number. We don't know the exact number. It might have been 50. It might have been 500. It could have been 5,000, but there are people, and it says that they were disabled. They were blind. They were lame. They were paralyzed, and they're all together in this same place, huddled around this pool, this source of water. Now, what's interesting is that while these people were in this place, just outside of there, in close proximity, were hundreds of people walking to celebrate God's goodness. Scholars believe that the pool that these people were huddled around was in hearing distance of the celebrations taking place. But nobody in this setting was able to participate in the celebration. There were things that were keeping them there. It says that they were blind, they were lame, they were paralyzed. 
That matters for you and me this morning because there are times that we show up in this place and we cannot celebrate. I mean, you, maybe you experienced it this morning. You walked in the door and somebody was standing at the door and they greeted you. Maybe they greeted you out in the parking lot or as you walked in and they're like, man, it's so good to see you. How you doing? Are you having a great day? And you're like, man, don't talk to me right now. You don't know the week that I've had. I remember this lady in my home church growing up. I mean, she was that lady that she was next level hyped for Jesus, okay? I mean, it was all about the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is in this place. And she's like, it's so good to see you. I hope you're having a great day. And I'm like, man, I don't know if it's the joy of the Lord in your life or if it's the drug use. I can't tell the difference because you are, you're just too much. And maybe for me as a teenager, it was because it was just early. It was Sunday morning. I'd rather be in bed asleep. But she was next level. But maybe you walk into this place And that's kind of the way you feel. The music starts playing and you start looking around and there are people that are fully abandoned in worship. I mean, their arms are raised, their eyes are closed, they are shouting, they don't care what they sound like and they are worshiping in this incredible way and you're just sitting there thinking, man, I I just can't go there. Not with the week that I've had. Not with the circumstances that I'm living with in my life this week, in this season, in this year. Not when I begin to reflect back on my past. I just can't, I can't celebrate the goodness of God in my life. And see, the reason is, is because maybe we're not blind physically, but we're blind spiritually. We, saw, we find ourselves in a place where the circumstances and the things going on in our lives keep us from seeing the work of God in our lives. Because God is always at work. When we trust Jesus and we give Jesus our life, God begins to go to work. He begins to transform. He begins to renew. But there are times where we don't see it. His seed of goodness is working in our lives, but our our focus is on the circumstances, and so we don't see it. So we come into this place where we're frustrated with God. We're like, God, you're not working fast enough. God, you're not doing enough. We can't see him because we're overwhelmed by what's going on around us. Or maybe we're, we're not lame physically, but we're lame spiritually. We begin to trust Jesus. We begin to recognize that this is a walk that I take with Jesus. This is my faith journey. But you find yourself stuck, not able to take a next step, not able to continue to make progress in your life spiritually. You've made promises to yourself. You've made promises to um, your spouse, to those closest to you, to, to everybody, to God saying, I will never do that again. I am stepping into something new only to find yourself the very next day stepping back into where you were. And you feel stuck maybe even paralyzed. Not paralyzed because you're not willing to take the step, but because as you begin to look ahead and you begin to think, if my life is going to be a life after Jesus, then it's gonna probably mean there's gonna be some distance created between me and some of my closest friendships that aren't the healthiest for me. My inner circle may not be able to be my inner circle anymore because it's not what God wants for my life. Or maybe as you begin to step into this relationship with Jesus in the here and the now, you realize that it's going to begin to break down the reputation that you've spent years, maybe decades, trying to build up. And that scares you. And you find yourself in a place of spiritual paralysis. I think it's, this, it's the picture that we see as Jesus and these people are moving to this place to celebrate God's goodness. And we see this massive group of people who are unable to celebrate. They're disabled from participating in the celebration. Look what happens in verse five. It says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now that's interesting to think about. This this one, it's important that we recognize the one. All throughout the book of John, you see Jesus having encounters with the one. 
You saw it all the way back in, in the first couple of chapters. You see it in chapter three. Nicodemus has an encounter with Jesus. It's a one-on-one encounter. It's a conversation. Nicodemus is, is concerned deeply about what other people think about him, so he comes to Jesus at night. You see the one-on-one encounter Jesus has with the woman at the well who is owned by her sexual sin. You see one-on-one interaction with, with Peter later on in the book. Peter was young. He was dumb. Khalid would say he was even broke, but he was super ambitious. He was strong. He was, he was ready to, to take a step with Jesus, and Jesus has one-on-one encounters with these people, just like he's about to have in this passage. But I think it's important for us to realize, this man's been here for 38 years. Seven times in each one of those years, he heard people celebrating the goodness of God. 266 times in his life, there was celebration going on, and he was unable to participate in the celebration. Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What a bizarre question. I mean, just picture the scene. Jesus could have showed up and he could have said, hey, everybody get up, let's go, let's go celebrate. Everybody out the pool. But he doesn't do that. He finds one and he goes and he has a conversation with one. And he asked him an interesting question. And I don't know about you, but I would be a little flustered by this moment if I'm this man sitting here for 38 years and this random guy walks up to me and says, hey man, you wanna get well? You wanna get well? But I think it's important for us to understand the question this morning. This is the question. Do you want to get well? And the reason it matters for you and I is because Jesus is talking to one, which means he's willing to talk to you. He's willing to talk to me. When I'm overwhelmed by a substance abuse, when I'm overwhelmed by the chaos in my marriage, when I'm stuck in a meaningless, purposeless life, job, vocation, when my past begins to overwhelm me, there are many of us here this morning that we feel exactly that way. And out of 7.5 billion people in all of the world, God has you here this morning to ask you the question, to ask me the question, Do you want to get well? Listen, you don't have to live that way anymore. There's something available to you. Do you want to get well? Verse seven, look at this response. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Man, this response is crazy. Because Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he doesn't respond with yes or no. He responds with an excuse. Now, I would have responded with something very much different. I'd be like, dude, if I could walk right now, I would take you out. You wouldn't be recognizable when you got home to your mama. You would be so messed up. Who, how dare you walk up to me after sitting here for 38 years and ask me if I want to get well? Of course I want to get well. I would say something incredibly sarcastic. I have the gift of sarcasm. Um, I value that in my life. But it would have been a really tense moment. But this is a peculiar response from this man. He doesn't respond with, yes, I want to get well. No, I don't want to get well. He responds with an excuse. And this excuse exposes something. It exposes the lie that this man has believed for years. You know, if you go back, and and some of you recognize this, you were reading through the verses in your worship guide, and you saw that it went from verse 3 to verse 5. Now, I wasn't um, 
I wasn't a kid who wore a bicycle helmet as a kid, and so, you know, I'm not as smart as my kids are. They bring their homework home sometimes, and I'm like, man, I don't even know what to do with this. You're so much smarter than I was at your age. But I am smart enough to realize there's, there's a verse missing there. And in some um, translations of the Bible, the verse is actually there. Verse 4 is there, but it's in brackets. And then in other translations, it's not even there. Because scholars have figured out that that was not part of the original manuscript to the early church. It was something that was added later. And the reason it was added is because they were wanting people to understand the superstition or the scheme that was happening at the Pool of Bethesda. You see, there was a scheme that was working. There was either, it was, at at, at the least, it was a superstition that people believed when the water began to stir, when a bubble started to come up from underneath, that there was an opportunity that you, if you fell in the water and were the first person in the water, then you would be healed physically. Some scholars go to the extreme and say that there was actually a group of people that had orchestrated this whole thing, and they had staged these physical healings so that people would believe that, and they would pay money to sit around the pool at the opportunity to experience life that they'd never experienced before. And so this man begins to speak into that. He begins to speak into the lie that he's believed for 38 years. I mean, can you just imagine the chaos of this moment? The water begins to stir, the bubbles begin to come up, and it's a chaotic moment. Every man for himself, every woman for herself, trying to get the opportunity to live the life they've always dreamed of, to be set free from whatever physical ailments have been holding them back for their entire lives potentially. Now, I know that many of us may not be struggling from some physical issues that may be holding us back, but we're all struggling with something that may be holding us back at some level. And we have a tendency to believe the lie We begin to believe the lie of our culture that says, hey, do this, accomplish this, achieve this, and you'll have life you've always dreamed of. Get in this type of relationship. Find a relationship. Make this much money. Live in this kind of a house. Stay in this part of the world. Do this, do this, do this, and then you'll experience life. And oftentimes, we spend years and years and years chasing after that for hopes that we'll be healed that will satisfy the need, the hunger, the emptiness that every single one of us are born with. And so we begin to chase after that. Now, when I first read this story years ago, I was a little puzzled by the question, do you want to get well? Because of course he wants to get well. But the longer that I'm in ministry, I realize that it's a, it's a great question. Because for many of us, even myself at times, there's been times where I did not want to get well. You know, I lie to myself and I begin to say, you know what, this really isn't that bad. I can handle this. I can take care of this. I can do this. I don't need you to tell me what to do. God, I, I, I don't need you to tell me how to live my life in a certain way. I've got this. Or we begin to think, you know what, if I trust God with everything in my life, if I trust Jesus and his plans for my life, then it's gonna actually be a step backwards, not a step forwards. And I'm not sure I wanna go backwards. And we begin to believe the lie. We say things like, hey, don't tell me what to do in my marriage. Don't tell me what to do in my dating life until our marriages and our dating life begin to fall apart. Don't tell me not to smoke this or not to drink too much of this until our lives are owned by what we drink or what we smoke or what we consume. You see, we believe the same lie that this man believed, that maybe we can accomplish something. Maybe we can get to this place. And he makes this excuse And he's finally come to this place after 38 years where he's finally just realized and understood this is just the way it's gonna be for me. This is my future. This is just the way that I am. Do I wanna get well? 
He's thinking, I don't even know that that's, uh, that's a possibility. And so he doesn't even answer the question with a yes or a no. You know, if you were to leave here this morning and you were to walk out in the parking lot and a car came out of nowhere and just took you out, and you're like, man, that would never happen at church. I don't know. I've seen some of you drive in the parking lot. <laughs> I've seen some of the road rage issues that take place in that parking lot. I hear from the parking team. They're like, man, that, that, that one car told me I was number one. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> some crazy things can happen in the parking lot. Hide your kids, hide your wife. Like, it's, it's dangerous out there. But here, what, let's just say you walk outside and somebody takes you out. And your leg is busted up. I mean, bone is sticking out. It is, it is gnarly. It is wicked. There is blood everywhere. People can see your bone. People are running away because they can't stand this. Look at the sight. And you just stand up. You're like, it's all good, y'all. I'm good. Don't mind me. All right, let's go to Luby's lunch. Lunch, Luann platter. What, y'all want to hang with me? Everything's good, guys. Everything's going to be fine. You show up at work tomorrow. Coworkers look at you and like, bro, your bone is sticking out of your leg. You're like, ah, oh, dude, it's, it's all good. I'll be fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. 20 years later, you're still walking with a significant limp, bones still sticking out. You've got it decorated at this point. Like, that's ridiculous. Nobody's doing that. Because when it comes to our physical issues, the idea of getting well is a no-brainer. We want to get well. And I would say that the same is true for us when it comes to our lives spiritually. Do you want to get well? The answer should always be yes. But oftentimes, we believe the lie of the culture and the world and the people around us the lies we tell ourselves, and we begin to make excuses, we begin to believe this is the best it's going to get, and we find ourselves in a completely hopeless situation. This is my life. This is the best it's gonna get. They say there's a guy named Jesus who wants to take me to the safe place one day, but I'm not sure that I can even think about that right now because my situation right now has no hope. This is the conversation. This is the reality of this man's life. Look how Jesus responds in verse eight. Then Jesus said to him, get up, get up. I wanna pause right there because I have a tendency sometimes, as well as you, to think about Jesus as this nice, casual, feather-haired, bucket full of suckers guy that's walking around giving everybody free hugs. But that's not what you see in this, in this verse. In this verse, you see a man who speaks with some authority. Notice the exclamation mark. He says, get up. And he's not speaking as um, some evil dictator or trying to be some jerk in this man's life to shame him for not having the ability to get up. He's speaking with this authority saying, listen, it's time to stop making excuses. It's time to stop believing the lie. Get up. He's declaring in this moment with this man individually, he is saying, I have authority. I have power over everything in your life that is keeping you from experiencing the life that I have for you. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. It's a bold statement of Jesus, but it's an incredibly important statement for us to recognize this morning. He's announcing his presence and he's saying, I have come to give you life. How messed up would it have been if Jesus had walked into this chaotic scene and walked up to this man and he said, dude, your situation's terrible. Man, I, the, just, this, this is just bad. But hey, listen, dude, listen. Um, hey, if you'll pray this prayer, then one day, I don't know when, but after you take your last breath here, I'm gonna be waiting for you in heaven and we'll hang out and we'll have life together. It's gonna be awesome. 
pray this prayer. And then the guy prays the prayer. And then afterwards, the guy's kind of like, well, what now? Like, what, what about my life right now? What about tomorrow? And Jesus is like, hey, listen, I'll pray that you have good weather until, you know, that day comes. That's not what he does. This moment, he steps in. He does what only Jesus can do to begin to flip the script of the story in this man's life. He says, get up, pick up your mat, referring to everything in your life. That mat represented his life, his story. He says, pick it all up. I'm flipping the script on your life and let's walk. You know, it's interesting he says walk. Why walk? It's symbolic. Walk with who? What Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, let's walk. Follow me. Let's go walk with everybody else and let's go celebrate the goodness of God in our lives, the goodness of what he is doing today, what he did yesterday and what he's going to do tomorrow. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. But the story doesn't end there. If you skip down a few more verses, there's a conversation going on between this man and some of the religious leaders who are out to try to um, trap Jesus, who are trying to arrest Jesus. They were trying to get, get Jesus out of the picture. So they're asking this man about the situation and how he was healed. And look at what it says in verse 12. It says, so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went, ahead, went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, this is an interesting conversation because here's what's happening. This was almost a tragic and it still could have been. We don't ultimately know what this man's final response to Jesus was. But we do know that after his first encounter with Jesus, where Jesus gave him a life he was not capable of accomplishing on his own, he missed that it was Jesus. He didn't know it was Jesus. You know, Jesus can do work in our lives. Jesus can work on our behalves, and we can fail to recognize that it was his work in our life. We see that happen in this man's life. So Jesus circles back around to make sure that this man knows who it was that stepped into his life on that day. And then he says something to him. He says, stop sinning or things may get worse for you. Now, that's not just him saying, hey, listen, there's a list of rules I need you to follow. Would you follow those rules, please? Because you're really screwing things up. What he's saying is he's saying stop sinning. What he means is he's saying stop trusting yourself. Stop believing the lie. Stop allowing the excuses to control your life. Trust me. Trust me as the boss of your life. Trust me as the ultimate authority. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, listen, if you will trust me, as the full authority in your life, all your hopes, all your dreams, all your ways, trust them under my authority, then you'll have life. But if you continue to trust yourself, if you continue to believe the lie that the culture is telling you, things are gonna get worse for you. That's a pretty strong statement by Jesus. But what he's doing is he's not just saying, hey, listen, pray this prayer so that we can hang out together one day in heaven. He's saying, trust me today. Allow me to be the boss today. Allow me to call the shots in your life today. And the same thing is true for us. He's calling us to the exact same thing. He's saying, trust me, trust me. Let me be the boss of your life. And I know some of the pushback that you feel right now in this moment. You're thinking, okay, that's great for this guy because this guy was in a hopeless, terrible situation and Jesus did what he had to do. He performed a miracle and he hasn't done that for me yet. Jesus has not stepped into my life. He has not done the miracle that I need in order to have the life that I want. And I would say that if that's our mindset, then we have missed what Jesus has done because Jesus did everything he needed to do 
to perform the miracle in our lives so that you and I could have life. It's the reason he went to the cross. He was not the one that was guilty. He went to the cross in my place. He went to the cross in your place. It's why we celebrate Easter. But he also came back to life. He performed the miracle necessary so that I could have life, so that I could trust him not just with my future one day, but I could trust him today with the decisions and the struggles and the circumstances going on in my life today. Jesus is saying, trust me. And he's inviting me to participate in the progress. You see, I think about this man and I think as he first stood up and he began to stand for the very first time in his entire life. I mean, it couldn't have been a great situation. I mean, it probably would have been a little bit embarrassing. Jesus, we know that he, he, he allowed him to stand up and we know that he gave him the ability to walk, but we don't know what that walk looked like. I imagine that, that when this guy began to walk, it wasn't the most perfect walk. I mean, he, he very well could have stood up and taken a couple of steps and then lost his balance and then fell back down. But then he had to get back up and he had to keep walking and he had to keep trusting and keep believing, I can do this, I can do this. That man just gave me the ability to do this. I can keep walking and it probably wasn't pretty. It's probably like all of us when we started to learn to walk. Some of you parents, you've done this with your kids. When they start to walk, you're holding their hands. You're like, come on, buddy, come on, come on. Oh, that's so good, that's so good. You took two steps and you lose your mind. You video it, you send it all over the world. You put it all over Facebook. You celebrate the two steps. Nobody in the room looks at that kid when he falls back down after those two steps and says, I can't believe you. I mean, you have my last name and you're gonna, you're gonna walk like that? Like that, we don't do that as parents. That's crazy because we know that the progress they just made is better than anything they had done before. And as you watch them grow, they continue to take more and more steps and eventually they don't need you to hold their hands anymore. And all of a sudden they're walking a little bit better on their own and then they start to kind of walk a little faster and then they start to run a little bit and then they start to run a little bit faster and you're like, hey, get over here. And they're like, nope, see ya, they're gone. You know? And then they get a little bit older and they're, they're running. They've got full confidence in their ability to not just walk, but to run. Because there's progress happening in our lives and I think that's the invitation today. Jesus is saying to us, do you wanna get well? Get up, pick up your mat and walk and understand and realize it might be a little bit difficult at first. And when you fall down, get back up and keep walking trusting today, Jesus, you are the boss of my life. You're my savior, and I know that I'm gonna spend eternity with you, but today, you are my boss. You are the final authority in my life. I'll close with this story. In thinking about the progress, my wife and I, when we first got married, we bought a house in North Texas. It was a small town, very different than any house that you might buy here in this area. When you buy a house in this area, your house is ready when you move in. I mean, the sod has been laid in the front yard, the trees have been planted, the shrubs have been planted, the flowers are there, the irrigation system is ready to go as soon as you move in. That wasn't the case at my first house. My first house was actually a new house. It had just been built by a friend of mine. Um, it was a really small house on a vacant lot. He built it. The entire time he was building it, he didn't do anything with the yard. I mean, it wasn't even level. And so when we moved in, there were weeds everywhere. I mean, it was horticultural chaos. I mean, there were angry, violent weeds all over the place. And so the day that I moved in, I was like, this ain't happening anymore. And I had a brand new gas-powered weed eater. I was so excited to break it in, to get it, to get, get it working and make, make my yard look better. And so I stepped out of that front yard, little man in a big salad, ready to go to work. And I started using chemicals and I was planting grass seed, trying to make the yard what I wanted it to be. Now, if you had showed up at my house six months later, there was a, 
a little more grass and a little less weeds. But if you'd have taken a picture of my yard, nobody in here would have been like, wow, Wes, your, lar- your yard looks amazing. Because it still didn't look great. Because the snapshot doesn't show the progress that had been made. But I know that that six-month mark marked a lot of progress because it wasn't what it used to be. And that's the story. You see, the progress is proof for the relationship. As we trust Jesus as the authority in my life today, he's gonna call me to take a step. And when I see progress happening, it means God is working in my life. And who I am today may not be who I want to be or who everybody else wants me to be one day, but it's certainly not who I used to be. Jesus has flipped the script of my life and he's invited me in to participate in this journey, in this walk with him so that he can work, so that he can transform, so that he can renew things in my life ultimately so I can celebrate him and celebrate his goodness in my life. Where does this land with you this morning? Is Jesus the boss of your life? I know that's uncomfortable because we've had some really bad bosses in our lifetime. We've had people in authority over us abuse that authority. And so when we think about Jesus as the boss, it doesn't really match up. But when you consider what Jesus did, in order that we could have life, we can't help but trust him. Trusting him with the next step, trusting him with the progress. Maybe for some today, it's simply this, it's to step into this relationship. It's that first step of just getting up, trusting that he has the authority and the power to do everything necessary in your life so that you can experience life. And you just need to say to him today, Jesus, here's my life. Be my savior, be my boss, be my Lord, be my king, be my everything. Maybe for some, you've done that, but there is an area that is wrecking your life. You know, when I look back over my life, the areas that have created the most chaos and dysfunction and destruction in my life have been the areas that I've failed to turn over control to God. Maybe today there's an area in your life you need to turn over to God. There's a substance that is wrecking you, that controls you. There's a relationship that's not healthy. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and you need to take that step to just acknowledge it, recognize it, and find the help necessary to make that marriage what God intended that it would be. That's what this is. It's a journey where we're walking together, loving each other, loving Jesus, and watching God make a difference in all that we do. What is your next step? Can we pray? Before I pray with your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you to do this. I haven't done this all weekend, but I just want you to ask God in your own words, God, what's my next step? What is it that you're calling me to do? Is he calling you out this morning and saying, trust me for the very first time? Let me take control? Maybe you've tried to control your life for way too long and the results are not ideal. They're not good. They're not great. Maybe today God is saying, hey, just trust me. Bring your dysfunction, bring your brokenness, bring your doubts. Throw it all on him, trust him. What is your next step? Is it to confess an addiction? Is it to confess a secret sin? Is it to seek counseling? Is it to get more connected here so that you can have people to walk with in this journey with Jesus? What is your next step? let's pray that we'll have the courage and the boldness to take that next step. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We trust you.
And because we trust you, we're asking that you would give us the strength and the boldness to take the steps you're calling us to take in our lives, that we'd be able to walk with you. God, as we walk with you and as we know you and as we trust you, would our confidence grow, not because of our abilities, but because of the work that we see that's visible in our lives because of what you're doing, because your love being so strong for us. God, I pray that our lives would become a response to your goodness. And I pray that anything that may be holding us back this morning, anything physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, anything that is keeping us from experiencing the life that you want for us, the life that you gave your life for, I pray that it would have no power over us this morning. God, we need you because we're not capable of this on our own. So pour your power out on us. Give us freedom. Break the chains that are, that are holding us back. And we're going to trust you. We're going to keep looking to you. Pick us up when we fall down. I pray that you would do an incredible work even as we leave. I pray that your greatest work this week would take place as we go through our routines this week. We love you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.